Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast, where we take a deep dive into the projects and creative process of our fellow makers. I'm Dean Duplantis, and I'm excited to join you for this episode, along with my co-host, Christy from Twisted Twine and Austin of High Caliber Craftsman. Hey, guys, good to see y'all again. Hey, hey. What's up? So, uh, Christy, what you been up to this past week? Well, I'm running low on time because um, the Fools with Tools treasure trade is rapidly approaching the due date to have that done. Um, conveniently enough, our guest is involved with the Fools with Tools podcast. So, um, But what it is, for those that don't know, it is kind of like a secret Santa kind of thing for makers. And I think there's like 200-ish people from all around the world included in this secret Santa process. Well, I'm going to make it a point to ask him What's the penalty for you not finishing so that you have extra motivation to get it done? Oh, yeah. It, it yeah. I'm I'm with you there too because I definitely I will finish this. And my project is um I did get someone that I do know. So, um I think that's good. And my biggest motivation right now is the fact that the gift that's coming to me has arrived already at my house, oh. but I've told myself which has been the case the last two other years that I've done this, I won't open my gift until I have shipped the gift out because I think that's, yeah, that's a good, that's only right. Um, But I'm working on uh, an intarsia project. Oh, awesome. I use that phrase, but I, I don't know if you can really call what I do intarsia. I, uh, with a mixed combination of types of wood that kind of go together ish. You saying that about not opening until Christmas or whatever. Uh, we went shopping this last weekend and Kristen had picked out some sweaters and I was like, oh, let me get one of those to give, you know, buy for a Christmas gift. And so we checked out separately and I had the sweater. And when we got home, I took it out my bag and I went and I put it with her stuff in the room. And then when I came later that night, it was folded up, put back with my stuff. And I was like, you didn't want your sweater. She was like, it is a Christmas gift. I cannot have that until Christmas comes. I was like, go ahead, girl, show us some discipline. I'd have been wearing that shit already. Yeah, but uh, Monday is the due date this coming Monday. So uh, my goal is to have it completely finished by Friday because I got to put some finish on it. And, you know, it has to has to set as we've been um, balancing all of the other zillion projects that we've been going on. But I'm I am fairly happy with it so far. It's kind of a project. um, And I hope we get into this topic when Brett's here building in space um type of project because i keep thinking of that's a you know it's something that kind of comes up a lot and this project to me is is kind of that so um so yeah i'm excited i'm excited there's a gift here just waiting for me to open and uh, i'm excited about shipping my gift to um to the maker that i already know which is the first time um yeah this is the first time i've made something for somebody that i that I already know. So I hope he likes it. Um, that's always, you know, kind of the excitement too. just, just, I hope he likes it too. So yeah, that's been me. Austin, what have you been up to? So this year I'm, I, I, I'm having FOMO because I, I did their treasure trade last year, but this year I was like, I just don't have time. I'm so backed up. Yeah. And I just like, I just don't have time. So I've been trying to, as much as I want to jump in, I've been trying to pull myself back and just focus on things focus on making money is what I really need to be focused on. Cause this is my time of year to do it. Um, 
But that being said, yeah, sure. I've been doing tons of pins this week. I don't want to talk about it. What I want to talk about is, um, so I've been slowly building this, um, my boys call it the floor is lava game, but basically it's like an obstacle course through the woods. Oh, and it's like tree logs, you know, like, like cut off logs. My old anvil logs actually is what part of them are. Um, and then, uh, four by four posts sunk in at different depths and then made some of them into like teeter totter, you know? So I've been doing this uh, basically like every day I've been adding a couple obstacles and working my way through the woods. And, um, so I think that's been a pretty cool thing. And every day he comes home from school and he's like, let's go do it. Let's go do the obstacles. I'm like, okay. But he doesn't say that. He says, let's go do the obstacles. I'm like, <laughs> he's hanging around me too like much. Me. Yeah. <laughs> How many acres, how big of a spot uh, of woodsy area are you working with? Actually, where I'm doing that, it's barely any. Oh, okay. It's it's barely any. It's it's kind of like a, one of our walking paths. And it's behind the... Um, I was going to talk to you like you were here with for the event, but it's, it's behind the gardens uh, in between mine and my dad's house. Oh, okay. So it's a very small area, but uh, so I've hit the point now where I'm coming out of that section. And the only thing I can do now is go up. So I think I'm going to start doing some like rope stuff oh, up yeah. in the trees. Yeah. And uh, which when I made that, I said that exact thing, thing to my wife at dinner tonight and she looked at me like i was freaking crazy (laughs) so maybe i won't be doing that but that's the plan well but even like you know if they had a little uh, like the four by four post that you had if they step up on it and there's a uh, a rope just for them to swing from you know just a little bit away they're not gonna you know accidentally hang themselves or something with that you know i think something like that should be relatively safe I think she's more worried about gravity, you know, like well, not very tall. Yeah. I'm thinking not very high off the ground. Cause I'm, I'm well, it's gotta be high enough that I can get the tractor under it. So, oh. <laughs> so I can, yeah. So, you know, like, I don't know, 25 feet, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm with your wife on this one here. I'm yeah. I'm with your wife on this one. <laughs> yeah. It's been fun. It's been cool to like, cause you know, I have to build it where the four-year-old can do it. And the, so, and that age difference is huge as far as the athletic ability. Mobility and yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, my six year old is super strong. Like he can do, he looks like the, well, you ever seen the uh, Ninja Warrior course? Like yeah. he can do that because he's just pure muscle. And the other one, he's like, he's still kind of uh, blobby. So <laughs> he's just still squishy. He hasn't developed that yet. He's got the so, baby fat going on. That's okay. He's, you know, he's four. Me so. too. Me too. I'm going to grow out of it though. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's what I've had going on. It's been super fun. I'm excited to uh, continue, you know, trying to come up with new obstacles. And as they get older, trying to make it, you know, like, like a punji pit of death and stuff like that, you know, really amp it up. You know, it's going to be so, something to where the, they're inviting friends over to participate like next year, just keep that in mind. I mean, this is going to be a, a, a draw for their friends, which is good. I mean, that's, that's great, but. Yeah. I might have to get some waivers established here. <laughs> good idea. But Dean, what are you about to? I had a pretty busy weekend, just kind of catching up on Christmas gift stuff. I've got a few orders. I've ramped up the stamps again. I, I had six stamp orders over the weekend. Um, <clears throat> I guess I realized I needed some additional funding for the, uh, the Christmas gifts, we hit the uh, two thirds mark for the uh, maker toy drive. And so I posted a picture of that on my Instagram where we're at so far with the toys. 
And when my wife walked by while I was setting all the toys up for the photo, she just shook her head and kept walking. Like I'm sure she could see like bills not being paid because I'm in debt over this uh, <laughs> toy drive. It was impressive. It looked like a toy store when it was all you know set up yeah. on the bar and everything. I showed a picture to my wife and she was like, Oh my it's gosh. <laughs> She's like, I had no idea. I was like, Oh yeah, he's deep. So he's not only that, deep. I've gotten uh, some cash donations from a few people. So I have, Oh, nice. I have 350 bucks left to spend. I still have 14 toys that I haven't assigned to makers yet, but I know I have some ornaments on the way. Um, I know my sister, and my nieces just sent one in and I had a few other people reach out recently for my address. So those will all get cleaned up. And then the rest of that money, I'll definitely spend ornaments or not uh, since it came in from folks. Um, Saturday, we went down to League City. Lindsay Creative uh, hosted a maker meetup at her home maker space. And so they kind of gave us a tour. It was neat to see just all the, the different rooms set up. Um, she did a blacksmithing demo uh, out back at, in her little area. She was doing like some leaves and some bird wings and some more intricate designs. Uh, but it was it was interesting to see her space and compare it to the space we came from at Austin's and just really appreciate how robust one man's stuff is compared to an entire makerspace's stuff. Um, then uh, beyond that, uh, I'll say this too. They had a, a pretty sentimental story, and I don't want to get into the ins and outs of it, but basically uh, they came into a donation uh, from a family to, uh, to put towards an audiovisual room that they had a member that was no longer with them that was big into audiovisual stuff and he wanted to go to school for that. And so they had a really impressive audiovisual room with all the foam sound deadening stuff and some great HD cameras. They had a stop motion thing set up, a MIDI keyboard. It was really impressive. And if you were into that kind of stuff, it just was a reminder that makerspaces um, have the ability to get you access to things that it would be cost prohibitive for a lot of people to just go and get like you couldn't afford everything in there. It's just too much stuff. They did have two mills that were donated from a, a machinist estate. When he passed away, he had uh, put, wow. it was a, they had a really nice, um, was it Delta? It was Rockwell. Um, Rockwell yeah, Delta, so they had yeah. a Rockwell mill and a Rockwell lathe. And then they had an, a Grizzly mill and a, another lathe. I can't remember the brand, but uh, enjoyed that day. I also, I drove my, car down there with the top off because the weather was nice in Houston. So uh, that was a fun deal. And then besides that, I've uh, Jeremy makes stuff. I reached out to him to get the 3D printer back set up and calibrated. And I've been printing clips off of Thingiverse. I found these uh, a design for these clips for my Milwaukee battery, my Makita batteries. Right now, they just sit in a drawer. I think I have 13 or 14 of them. And I wanted to get them out onto a wall. So it's a little 3D printed clip. And uh, I've got the printer running right now. It takes six hours to print one of these. Or you can probably get it on Amazon wow. for $3, but um, <laughs> I like that I can just run the print and it fits really well. So it can, you know, friction fits good enough, but also it, it's a good enough fit to where, listen, I mean, wow. it, it clips into place. So uh, I'm pretty excited wow. to finish these up. Uh, and then finally, I, I kind of realized I have enough vacation left that it behooves me to burn Thanksgiving week. So I think I'm going to take off all next week. And Thanks. I'm going to hit the dust collector one day. I'm going to rerun the dust collector in a different configuration. And, um, and I've got another big project I want to do that uh, I'm hoping to Thanksgiving week, I can find enough time. Cool. Today we're joined here with Brett McAfee from Skull and Spade 13. Glad to have you on. Mm, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> 
Uh, I ran into Brett at Jimmy Duresta's woodworking class actually a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, having that Midwest or origin story together, I think that was an extra little bit of uh, connection for the two of us. Uh, but Brett, can you go ahead and kind of tell everybody a little bit about yourself and kind of how you fit in the maker world? How do I fit? <laughs> Isn't square peg, round hole, something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Quick elevator pitch is my name is Brett McAfee, obviously. And I am a artist, blacksmith, creative minded person. And I make things, I guess, for a living now, uh, at least I'm freaking trying to. And uh, I met everybody a couple of years ago when I started working with Jimmy DeResta, who I found just through watching YouTube videos. And I happened to be living in New York City and unhappy with a job. Uh, I ended up kind of force feeding myself into his shop space and being there. <laughs> and it led to me meeting a lot of people and then fully embracing this maker lifestyle and trying to learn as many crafts as I can. And obviously blacksmithing being the one that I got really keen on. But um, yeah, kind of try and do it all. Try and always be a student. Try and always learn. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Dean and I particularly have that in common with you. Austin's pretty much anti wood in general. He just wants to <laughs> burn okay. it. That's okay. <laughs> wood is for burning. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, our podcast usually focuses on projects. So we wanted to particularly talk to you about the forged coffee table base mm -hmm. because that is just, I mean, it's just that cool. Uh, could you describe to us what it looks like? Because I don't think I'm going to do it justice, but for those that might not have seen it, how would you describe how it looks? Well, the client uh, who commissioned the project is a fossil collector and happened to have a piece of ancient fossilized wood and it weighed 300 pounds or something. And that's what he was kind of ballparking for me. And so mm -hmm. his his initial idea was just, I'd love to have something kind of organic to play off of the fact that this is this really heavy, dense piece of old wood. I'd like it to be tree-like or organic. So he sent me a few pictures with some really rough sketches. And what we ended up landing on was something like, um, at least out here in the desert, the easiest one for me to equate it to is called a creosote bush. And they're really spindly kind of long arms and they you know as the wind blows them they kind of get swept and then they chase the sun mm. and everything so you end up with these very leaned over branches almost like a juniper or any kind of bonsai that you've seen with that asymmetry mm -hmm. the entire idea was to have an asymmetrical organic look for the table base itself while also being able to support a massive weight um, and hopefully not like fall over or anything at any point. So we landed on this kind of trunk on one side and then the branches would kind of splay over and lean and then kind of end up supporting the other edge of the table. And we wanted to try and keep it relatively minimal, you know, instead of doing a six inch forged billet for the trunk. You just wrap it around a pipe and that way you end up with an empty section and there's a little bit of negative space in there peeking through. Um, but yeah, it's probably one of my favorite projects that I've done to date, not only because of the size of it, but it functioned like we put Ben happened to have a, a tabletop made of concrete, very similar 
to the size. Mm. So we got to put it on top to test it. That's what the mm-hmm. beauty shots were showing at the end. And it's, you know, the forge texture that I was able to put in it with the dyes and just using way too many bottle bottles of oxyacetylene and wrapping all the steel around it and having this nice twisted organic shape. I mean, I admit that I will, I am very proud of that. Yeah. Speaking of um, where you had mentioned you'd put the, like the, the temporary tube in there to hold that space. Anytime I see someone do that technique, I'm like, Oh, I never, I never think of that. So I really appreciated that that was that it's okay to use temporary things and not leave them in the project. Yeah. How, how crazy. Right. And I have to give (laughs) the man credit that Jimmy's technique of building space is what leads to a lot of that thought process. And I, I do it all the time, right? I need a bar of steel to sit right here. So I just clamp it to something because I know it needs to be there and then weld it. And then it's, it's there, it's in space. Right. So the idea of using this internal structure was, I know it's not going to exist there in the end, but I need to be able to build in space around that. I need to be able to Mm -hmm. create the form. And then obviously, I mean, I didn't show it in the video, but it took a little bit more effort to get the pipe out of there because all the steel (laughs) shrinks, you know, you're like bending around and it all kind of shrinks against it. Um, but be surprised at how often that works. And once you start to explain and get people to click on that of mm-hmm. like, what does it mean to build in space? What does it mean to actually not use jigs, not prefab anything, really run and gun techniques of, you know, it needs to sit here. Okay, tack it there. Okay, now it needs to move back this way. Okay, tack it there. Okay, now it perfectly moves within those two zones. I'm doing all of this stuff for the audio listeners because I'm working on a book project right now that I'm I'm dealing with a little bit of nonsense. Yeah, but it's really good for us. So I appreciate the hand gestures. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I loved in the video, I was watching the video and the first time you you had the pipe there and then you just put that first limb and tacked it in place. I was like, oh, that's it. He's not going to try to figure all this to bring together the build-in space. Um, I mean, I didn't know what that phrasing was or the method that you were doing, but when I saw you start to tack the limbs and then, you know, really see where they took you, um, yeah. I enjoyed watching that process. It was really uh, cool. oddly enough too. um, I'll, I'll use this as an example as well. When, when people do woodwork, the ridiculous people that do work with wood, I have no idea why, <laughs> but I, there's something and maybe maybe it's me or maybe it's kind of being a newbie or just naive to the fact like you kind of avoid making marks on your wood and you kind of avoid any kind of planning because you're like, I don't know, that's a finished piece. I, I can't I'll have to can't sand it back. again or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I can't come back once I make that mark. Um, when you start dealing with this technique of like you can undo the things that you do, especially when it comes to steel work, you can obviously tack weld things and then undo them or you can cut them apart. Or So being able to put that plate of steel along the bottom, I knew that that plane was my floor. So mm-hmm. I knew it was even that way. I was able to run everything and then tack weld it, knowing that it sat exactly at the height that it needed to be and also touch the floor so that when I could remove everything and then eventually drop it, the structure sits exactly where it needs to sit. It is a, it's a wild thing that I never, I mean, obviously when I first started with Jim, I wasn't really making full time and I I really learned a lot while I was with him, but that's one thing that I took away that I see myself using on almost every single project. And 
it blows my mind once you can make that work for you and you can mm-hmm. move faster and you can do things a little bit more temporary and allow yourself to keep moving forward rather than getting caught up in prefab or drawings or, you know, I, I appreciate the people that use SketchUp or they'll draw out little diagrams of everything, but good Lord, that doesn't work for me. So working in that direction, does it, does that ever hang you up when you're, cause obviously you're filming it for YouTube. Do you ever get yourself hung up where you're like, because you're working in real time, kind of problem solving as you go, is there ever a like, oh man, I wish I had the camera on this side when I was doing this, but you know, like those, like you miss shots is what I'm trying to say. I, I definitely feel that. And for anybody that's watched any of my videos, like I shoot them really tight. You know, I don't really let the camera run. And I also don't really shoot wide because I, I really want you to see what I'm working on. And there are, there are moments where either I wasn't rolling because my brain's just going a thousand miles yeah. an hour and I'll skip six steps and then go, oh, uh, and then I put it together. You know, I don't <laughs> right. expect that anybody's watching my stuff to be a full tutorial. And if I have done any of those, it's very rare um, that I'll do something because I feel like I know what I'm talking about. But for those type of run and gun projects and the building and space stuff, it's really difficult to to balance that whole, well, I want to film it and show what I'm doing, but I'm not really showing anything other than my thought process. And it's extremely difficult to convey thought process just through image, right? You want to be able to add text to it, which I do sometimes. And I'll, I'll put it in the corner of the screen, you know, that'll say I'm doing this now just to let people know. But at the moment, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I got to like, (laughs) I'm in the edit and going, Oh yeah, that's why I did that. I, I forgot. I try and capture as much as I can, but it's so difficult sometimes to just like want people to embrace the the way that you work. And like, yeah, I'm just figuring out as I go. And this, I'm not showing you how to make a table. I'm showing you my, my thinking process through this weird table, you know? Right. The one thing or one, one of the many things that jumped out with this table was the texture on the tree branches, I guess you call it. Um, how did you go about doing that? And what was kind of your techniques and and tools on that? So it's very typical once you get into kind of larger format stuff or production forging, you end up making a lot of dyes for yourself, you know, stuff that will squish the metal in a certain shape. And, um, my fossil, my fossil guy, John, who Chrissy, I know I've mentioned to you a few times. He's kind of a private client and he wanted to get into blacksmithing for a little while and then kind of gave up the goat because he was, he's just too busy running his own companies. Mm-hmm. But he ended up having a bunch of these spring swages and dyes and all these things with textures. And he goes, just take them. You know, I don't know if you'll ever use them, but just take them um, and maybe you'll figure something out. So I had these wood texturing dyes, right? It's, it's effectively okay. just a piece of plate steel. And then you could take an angle grinder if you wanted to make your own, put a cutting disc on it and just carve a bunch of wavy lines in it and that steel will you know go into those lines a little bit um it doesn't work like molten metal obviously but you can get nice texturing and and more organic texturing than say attacking it with a hammer plus that would have taken me god knows how long to try and taper (laughs) and hammer all that stuff out by hand so you get the you get kind of the dual purpose of I was using the power hammer to draw everything out and do a nice long taper. And then I could take it over to the hydraulic press. That's my buddy Ryan's who's a local blacksmith. I hooked the dies up into that. And then 
was able to run those tapers through just to get that added texture. So there was not only random hammer texture and a little bit of the swells and dips and things like that just from the forging process, but the texture really added to that. And you get these pinches every now and then, and you get a couple that kind of layer over each other. Um, worst part is wanting to really create that that full flow all the way through. But because of what we were just talking about with tacking on little branches and stuff afterwards, I just made a bunch of parts. And then you like weld the parts to the main branches and everything. I'm like, oh, I wish that was forged out of one piece and had the texture all the way through it. But <laughs> oh, anyway, you know, you, you give and take with your own builds where you, you realize you need to like come to terms with things that are either possible or more manageable workload time. Um, but that that texturing process is what really sold that. Oh, yeah. I love the texturing. It it added so much to that organic look. But I was curious when you were using the torch to get the waves and the moving of the branches, did you lose the texture in those bends as well? Uh sometimes that can happen, but really if you're if you're heating up enough of the material, it's not really going to um you're not really pinching it. You know, maybe on the underside where you create like a 90 degree bend, you might get a little bit of pinch in your texture. But the way that heat works, it's just path of least resistance. So instead of bending on all those little facets, it's bending the entire bar. So you're going to get a congruent line through cool. all of that stuff. It's it's a really nice, easy way if you ever get into um, twists and things like that when you're doing picks or bottle openers or Austin and uh, Christy. I know for sure that you guys have seen this stuff, but just being able to cut things in and then torch bend it, you don't lose any of that. Uh, unless you go like too far, you know, like twisting too far, it'll just turn into nothingness. But yeah, minimal work. You always try and do your minimal work, not overbend it, not over twist it. So when you're running the um, the tapers through the texture dies, were you trying to keep them in a direct, like continue those lines the entire way down? Oh, no, 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 no. Because they, you got to imagine <clears throat> that grain. If I was to do it kind of a more old school way, um, I probably would have wrapped a bunch of smaller steel together and then twisted it mm. and then kind of forged it together and gotten some texturing into it so that you have those depth lines right. in between kind of the cording or braiding that you're doing. Um, and you got to imagine the way these trees grow. It's just, you know, all this gnarly grain and cross cross grain. And I think if right. it would have gone too straight, it would have looked too regulated, right? It would have taken away from the organic nature. So the whole time, I'm drawing it through there. I'm also kind of turning it just a few degrees at a time and letting those twists kind of turn over on themselves. Um, I think that was the, I'll say that I, it was the proper thing to do. I think I did it out of intuition more than anything. Right. I mean, it makes sense. Cause if you forge them straight, then really afterwards you would have wanted to twist it. Right. And it's to get that natural right. flow. Right. And then, good luck twisting, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> that's not going to twist <laughs> yeah. even for sure. Just to be in yeah, was Those, those two main branches were like five feet long by the time I forged them out. It's like, I don't even really have the capacity to, <laughs> to twist something like that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What material are they going to be using? Cause you didn't make the top. You shipped it off if I'm correct. And mm -hmm. they're adding a top to it. What are they adding to it? What's the material for that type? That's the petrified oh, wood slab. Oh, the whole thing, the, the whole, whole slab. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a three hundred gotcha. pound, two and a half by five and a half foot 
petrified wood slab that the guy has. And that, that's the only reason I put that frame on the top was not only oh, to okay. uh, like you, you can think about it, if it was spindly little branches and they and mm-hmm. it took too much weight, they would splay. Right. Or they would right. squat a little bit. So I added that frame because then it disperses all of the pull everywhere and it allows them to I guess the guy's pretty handy and works with stone and rock on a regular basis. So I made the little frame and I was like, look, if you feel like it's going to slide off or move at any point, just put some tap cons underneath it, you know, and anchor it down if you'd like. But supposedly it's on its way to Alaska. I'm hoping to see pictures at some point soon. I don't know. We created it up and it's just like out in the world as far as I know. What did it weigh when you finished it? Ooh, 78 pounds okay that's not too bad oh, okay it's really not to to hold the weight of 300 like it's always surprising this is why i don't use wood yeah on these things because <laughs> i want to know that it'll hold 10 times its weight and so he's planning on just setting the uh the slab on top because yeah that's what would terrify me is like trying to put an anchor point on a petrified wood slab oh but absolutely i guess bond villains that have petrified slabs that size know how to uh anchor stuff like that. yeah i think there's a certain type of person that is <laughs> if if you're a person that collects very expensive uh nonsensical stuff like petrified wood slabs and fossils and things like that then you might know how they need to get held up by something i don't know either that or you just sit you got on a the guy. floor and you look at it yeah yeah you got a guy you got, you a, got guy. a guy like i get to tell people i have a fossil guy yeah. You want uh, fossils? Are you interested in fossils? I got a fossil. I got a guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I got a guy. <laughs> so I had a question about the planning part of it. I, I love how you did it kind of off center, you know, because when you think a tree, I, I think most people would be like, oh, low hanging fruit. It's right in the middle and then it spreads out. And I, I love that it's offset. Did you do any kind of planning for like how far out can we go before this end gives way or? You know, I know you tested it at the end, which I'm sure was a little butt clinch moment. The first tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but is there any way that you I don't, I don't even know how you would test that. But did you attempt to test it? No, I mean, the only thing that made sense in my head just with not wanting to, you know, put on and take off that 300 pound piece of concrete. Um, I cut the piece of wood like he sent me a an outline like he took a marker took a piece of cardboard and then drew the outline of it. So I knew what my visual space was width and and lengthwise. And that way, cutting out that piece of plywood at the beginning of the video was just how my brain works. Like I need to be able to see it. Same thing, build it in space. I needed to see what that shape was in space and how wide it was going to be, where I wanted maybe some negative space to play with the asymmetrical design and leave a lot of open spaces so that you could really see through it and really understand that these are branches but also like everything uh that i bent up branch wise touches you know in as many spots as i could and you just maybe we call it intuition but once you learn to work with like heavy materials on a regular basis you you know a couple inches in from the edges okay there should be a support there a couple inches in from this edge okay probably something centered okay probably something here and you space it out visually to where every few inches of square footage you've got coverage and i felt like there was enough attached points but you're right it was a total butt clinch moment when we put <laughs> it on top like i had been 
we lugged this weighty thing over and then he was like okay if it feels like it's gonna give way we just we just like get it out of the way and then set it on these wood blocks you know just the minute we see it move and it just didn't budge that's awesome so, what a great feeling yeah man now the finish that you put on um on the base it looked like you had that simple finish uh finish which i'm a, i am also a fan of but did you mix it looked like you had something like a black mix was that do you can you add to the simple finish or is that something else oh. or is it a secret Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a trade secret. And it is definitely something that people do in the blacksmithing community. I don't, I don't even know what, if I want to say it's like secret sauce, but pigment mixes. You can just, just, you no, can no. just send me the recipe directly and we'll I'll, be, okay. I'll let you know. There's, there's one person in particular that may or may not listen to this episode. That would be, uh, <laughs> he was the one that told me and said, don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> um, we only have 15 it, listeners, so he doesn't listen. Oh, come on. <laughs> so if if you look into any kind of pigment mixes that are the simple finish stuff is my it's one of my favorite finishes just for a multitude yeah. of reasons. It's boiled linseed yeah. oil, which is really typical to just soak whatever your blacksmithing project is. Just put a layer of BLO on it. It'll set up hardens, does its own thing. It's great. And it, it's a little golden, right? So you get a little bit of warmth to your stuff. Deal. So the simple finish has that hardenable wax in it. And I knew for the feet, whatever floor it was going to be sitting on, I wanted a little bit more protection. So the hardenable wax that's also in the simple finish, I knew just adds another layer of protection and hardens up really nice. I knew it would get into all the grooves. But if you look into any powdered pigment mixes, you can throw those in there and it acts oh, okay. just as a substrate, right? Because it's, it's just being carried by the wax and the BLO. It's not necessarily dyeing it, you know, or like translating right. as if you were pouring fabric dye into water. Mm -hmm. It's just acting as a vehicle to apply that pigment. So I look around at different blacks and grays and things like that. And uh, yeah. That works. Another thing I saw in the video was you had a jig that you made to set your table height. So as you were manipulating all the limbs, you kind of had a good guesstimate. Of, were there any other jigs maybe that you used that we didn't see on camera? Oh, ooh, that is a good question. And I don't really think there were. Um, aside from the pipe mm -hmm. internal structure and my little height thing, I, I think the rest of it was run and gun. Because so many, especially woodworkers, only focus on the final product and we don't invest enough time in jigs or you know, things that make the process flow easier and, and get you a better final result. Cause I could imagine yeah. just trying to eyeball that. And then when you go to put the frame on, there's an inch difference or, you know, you really just don't have the metal to bend where you <laughs> need it. So I really like seeing yeah. that height jig. Yeah. I mean, they actually make those things, right? It, whatever it is. I don't even machinist. know if there's a specific name yeah. for it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a machinist height, yeah. gate, height yeah. gauge. And I, I know I've seen them, but I just welded a couple of pieces of steel together, which of course in very typical build in space fashion was just, I needed to be 15 inches tall. Done. Yeah. Just weld it together. And now I know that I have a right angle. That's at exactly that height. That's what's so nice about doing a project welding because you like you can make it in thin space so so quickly you know just something like that i was going to ask you while we're talking about the jigs if you were going to do that again where you use that tube 
Do you think that if you cut that tube on an angle to make two tapered pieces of tube and then just tacked them at the top, if you would, if that would have made it much easier to get it out afterwards, do you think that would be a good plan? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because you really just needed the exterior form for kind of the top and bottom to do a twist to cover that distance. So if there was something just open space in the middle and being able to out from both sides, it also makes sense to do it that way because um, what what do they call that in casting or whatever, where there's like a relief? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if if I had created a relief on both sides and tapered it towards the middle, that's how a tree grows anyways, right? It splays out at the top, splays out at the bottom. So would have made more sense. I ended up having to futz with the the two big roots that I put on there that I had forged, you know, just stuff to kind of like make that visual space go out further. If I had built the jig that way, it would have made it not only easier to remove, but I think it would have given me the shape easier to begin with. That's cool. It came out really great. In hindsight, was there anything that you wish you would have done differently or added to it or taken away or kind of with the project? I would have liked to have done another large branch coming off. Uh, I realized that just covering that much visual space, uh, mostly with the trunk, I ended up doing a lot of those patch pieces, which were fine and I'm happy with how it turned out, but I would have liked to have done uh, a little bit more material optimization. So if you imagine all of those are round pieces, even if they're tapered and textured just effectively, they're round. And I wrapped those around uh, the trunk in the middle. But I think in an ideal world, I would have had them kind of half round where there was a flat side and then everything that's exposed is round. And they would have made it easier to kind of lay down flatness around the uh, around the trunk itself. And it would have optimized my material. Like instead of using one inch round, I didn't really need to. Mm-hmm. I could have done one inch and then somehow slice the whole dang thing in half and had two pieces of it. Cause really mm-hmm. I'm just filling the space horizontally um, to have another big branch sticking out would have been nice. I think something about threes, right? The rule of thirds that you always hear about things are more visually pleasing, especially in nature when it's like threes and fives and sevens um, being able to play off of that a little bit more. I only had two of those big roots that I put on and the rest of it was just kind of filler. So I, sh- I would have liked to have had one more route. And then after having a delightful constructive criticism conversation with Chris cash. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I love that guy to death. And I, I really do. I appreciate constructive criticism when it's delivered. Well, it's something that I think more people need to get good at is not only taking constructive criticism, but giving it. Mm-hmm. Chris has a way of, of always looking at, okay, what would you do different? Or, or what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Because he is very sculpturally minded. Right. And one of the things that we both agreed on is there were a couple of parts that were a little bit too close to a right angle and nature doesn't make right angles. And it was just like, "Mm, I just one more little heat and bend on this would have, would have kicked that right angle out of it. And it would have, it would have made it look a little bit more, pleasing and less regulated less man-made now my goal is going to be to find a limb that is a right angle and send chris a picture that's my just new find goal. one of those 
find one of those trees that like grew into a brick wall yeah. and then just shot straight up and then just send it to Chris. Look, I found one. Yeah. <laughs> That's my new goal. <laughs> there you go. I want to talk to you a little bit about your teaching style. I know you're, you're big on getting new people into the, into the um, art of blacksmithing. And maybe if you could just tell us kind of maybe your philosophy, if you have a teaching philosophy, um, since you're a scholar. Mm. <laughs> That's, I don't know if I've ever discussed the philosophy behind all of it. Um, so my mother's a teacher. So I, I grew up under somebody who was a really talented educator. She won a bunch of awards. I, I wasn't even really aware of it until I got older, how good of an educator she was. And I even shifted my, my verbiage just now to educator. I think teachers, it, it's, it's a very typical term to just say someone is a teacher. I can teach you anything. If I can find a common ground with you, I can teach you anything. Are you really going to learn why? or what it means, or, or, or the reasoning behind it. I think actually being an educator is my way of separating out people that really find a way to connect with you and then make the information that they are feeding you work for you. Do something, serve a purpose in the future. And I had a couple of, uh, of amazing educators in high school. And then when I went to uh, college, my college professors were fantastic uh, two of them specifically that just broke me out of all my bad habits like really got me into the exploration of art and creativity and what it means to put the color red over here instead of over here which is the typical thing that you would do and i used to always chase these these uh, teachers that i i thought just by their clout would be able to I'd be able to absorb something from them, you know, and it worked that same way in all of my jobs, my actual desk jobs that I had before I went making full time. It would be like, oh, I'm going to learn a lot from this person. They weren't really good at educating you. They could show you how to click a few buttons and make a thing in Adobe Illustrator. And you knew how to repeat that exact process. And if everything went according to plan, you were good. Right. <laughs> But when stuff fails, that's when you learn the most, right? Especially when mm -hmm. you're on your own, you, it's not fight or flight, but like you put up or shut up. Are you going to figure it out? Are you going to get beaten by this thing? Are you, you going to let this inanimate object ruin your day? And I, I used to do that. I used to just let things bog me down and well, I don't know how to do that. Or I never learned how to do that. Well, no one's stopping you. But then I started to meet these people who were, they just understood what it meant to connect with somebody and, and find a common ground and make analogies that made sense to you. You know, oh, you like fishing. Okay, well, this is just like tying up a, a lure. You know, you don't tie every lure the same way unless you want different action on all these things. There's a reasoning behind everything that they're telling you. And so I started to develop this um, this approach to when I would feed that information out to people, you know, I, I was working in design jobs and video jobs on and off. And I started to realize there were people that were just less educated than me, which is fine. I'm happy to tell you what I bring to the table, but I'm never just going to show you the top level or the skim coat of what you're asking me to teach you. 
it always ends up being like a running gag that sometimes I over talk, right? I over explain these things, even on our podcast, I'll go miles out of the way and <laughs> finally bring it back around because I'm, I'm giving all this context to it. I'm giving a reason. Um, sometimes it's not necessary. I understand it's to my detriment sometimes, but when it comes to me teaching, if, if I had to boil it down to a general philosophy, it's connection, like developing the why. What, why do you want to do this? Why, what is it that you want to make? What, is it something that was in your family, right? Did you find out your grandfather was a blacksmith? Okay, well, you've got sentimental attached to this. So if you come to me and say, I want to make a knife, I, I can show you how to make a knife. knife. Knives are like baking to me. There's a series of steps that you follow and you get a little bit of, uh, you know, icing that you can throw on that you make your own or you sculpt something out of fondant and put an amazing bolster and an amazing handle on it. But it's a knife like it will serve a purpose. If you like blacksmithing because it was in your family and you care about it and you got your grandfather's anvil. You don't want you don't need to learn how to make a knife. You'll learn that by proxy. I want to teach you the craft. I want to I want to let you understand how the anvil works, how proper hammer technique will mean that you can forge for 10 hours a day like your grandfather probably did. And guess what? We're going to make a nail because one of the hardest things to make, especially more than one of is a nail. And like everyone knows what they look like, but if you can make a nail, well, you can make a hundred nails. Well, and then you can make anything else that has a taper and upset on it. And then you can just move into bigger stuff. So you go to this core idea of what it means to teach somebody what it means to, I want this to, to help you. And I want it to progress you. I want this to be a skill that you can take into everything else that you do. If you learn patience and blacksmithing, because you have to wait in between heats, or you realize that you can have control over what is effectively a non-malleable material, steel is tough to work. And it, you know, to the to the layperson, steel is the hardest thing on the planet. And how the hell do you make it move in any other direction? It's steel. And then you get it hot. And then you make a bottle opener. And you're like, holy crap, I just blew a hole through steel and then shaped it. And now I can use it. And it's a functional tool for me going forward. The minute you start to attach reason to the things that you're teaching somebody and developing that connection of why. I think I don't think there's enough people that are pushing themselves to do that as educators. And I and I think I have to take a little bit of pride in being raised by somebody who won awards and was very well respected for what she did in the education community. I think it's it's my responsibility to take that forward. And we have we have had plenty of talks in the last few years about what it meant for her to teach and how much more taxing it was for her because she wasn't just reading out of the book. You know, I, I've read books, I've taken other classes. I try and pick and choose where I can of, of the things that I like, but I want it to be fun and I want it to have a purpose. And by golly, I, I, I think I'm doing a decent job so far. I don't know, Chrissy, you can let me know, but. Well, I really do enjoy teaching. And and you you brought something to me like, you know, it was a Jimmy's Obey the Grain class. I mean, I was at a wood carving class and 
you showed me something that in blacksmithing that I never, ever, ever would have contemplated even finding that I had any interest in doing or ability to do. And so after you showing, it was, you know, Luke Smith and I, you know, you and Brett or you and Jess were, were working with us and doing such a great job explaining everything. And then later that same year, Chris Cash walking me through another project at Maker Camp. You guys had the exact same techniques, exact same explanations. And then that December at Eureka Springs School of the Arts down here in Arkansas, I had an older gentleman that taught blacksmithing and he said almost verbatim the same things, the same way that you and Chris taught. So I found that very um, reassuring that you guys are consistently, you know, very different individuals, totally different parts of the country, learning from different sources yourself. You guys are all three teaching it very much the same way. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that I really appreciated because the techniques and the approach was just very solid. So, and you lucked out because I have (laughs) not had that same experience with other Smiths that I've gone to learn from like, wow, you just don't care at all about this, do you? (laughs) So it's interesting how you started your description because Austin's dad is also a teacher. so. We went to Austin's house and he and his dad are teaching, you know, 15 of us not to burn ourselves. And I was really surprised because I, I feel like I know Austin pretty well. And I expected him to either get annoyed or aggravated or, you know, a lot of times people that can do have trouble explaining to others. Like if it just comes natural to you, you have trouble teaching others. And Austin seems to come by it pretty naturally. So I fully expected that half the people would figure it out and the other half would leave being run off because Austin was mm-hmm. tired of them. But that's not what happened <laughs> at all. Like Austin and his dad did such a great job really instructing us in all the things you just said on proper hammer technique. I mean, they'd let us get started, but they didn't let you just sit there for an hour swinging the hammer wrong. Uh, more than once I'd walked up and I'm a shorter guy and he'd kick a box over for me to stand on because the amble was too mm-hmm. tall for me. And it was just, it was little things like that, that he was always watching and always making sure that we were doing things properly because he also didn't want us to leave with a bad taste in our mouth because we didn't succeed because we didn't have the tools and weren't set up right. And so I did appreciate that. Uh, Austin, you want to talk about your teaching technique a little bit? Yeah. Well, I was in panic mode because I'm like, I'm not, I don't view myself as a teacher. Like I'm not because, because I've, watch my dad, his whole career. And I'm like, he's a teacher. Like he, he just, he has that gift for, for exactly what you're talking about, striking a chord with somebody and making them fully understand something. And I'm not that guy. Like I I struggle with that. And I think I, so what I built surfboards for since I was 16 years old and I did it professionally for 16 years and people would come in and want me to teach. And I'm like, I have zero patience for this. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just a different thing. Right. And, um, so I was worried about 20 people coming to my house and, and, and having to teach them and it's dangerous stuff. Like, you know, it's basically Mm -hmm. a, um, a a branding iron that everybody's walking around Mm -hmm. with. And (laughs) so, but I think what saved me is it was a group of makers 
So they mm-hmm. kind of had that mentality of being ready to learn. Like they, they were right there where they wanted to, to kind of learn quickly. So, but that's really what I was curious about is like, if what, what's your like go-to right off the bat when the, the person's super green, what's your, let's like, let's call it a break-in. What's your break-in technique? Um, kill the tension with dumb jokes or being self-deprecating. <laughs> there you go. It's usually the easiest thing uh, to do. And I'm, I really don't want to sound like I'm uh, patting myself on the back too much because w- once you Smith for long enough, like driving out a taper in a heat is pretty manageable, especially on small stock. But what I will typically do is, you know, I'll try and maybe ask a couple questions. Hey, have you ever done this before? You ever swung a hammer before? Okay, it's not like a framing hammer. Don't grab it like this, you know, and I'm, I'm cracking a smile the whole time because it's, it's different. And I'm going to show you how it's different. And we're going to teach you how to do all these things, you know, and I kind of have my little um, lighten the mood and make it not so heavy. Right. Like, yeah, this is, this can be very intensive and it's a little bit scary because it is, you're just wielding a branding iron on a regular basis. And you, you know, this like with new Smiths or the first people, uh, first time they're trying, you'll watch them and they'll have everything really far away from them on the anvil. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 don't be scared of it. Cause you can't treat it like you're scared of it. You got to own the situation. So I'll get a little self-deprecating and, and maybe crack a couple jokes of like, I've never been formally trained. I learned all this on my own. So if I screw up, don't quote me on it, you know, because <laughs> I don't really care. And whatever that tension relief can be. And then while I'm doing that, I'll usually show be showing them how I'm going to do a taper to do like a hook or something. And then I'll smash it out and. 30 seconds, you know, smash out a taper. And that usually what that does is it takes people down, you know, and it relieves everybody. And then you watch me smash out a taper on some thin steel, which looks really impressive, but it's not. And it kind of raises the bar again. But, oh, but he does know what he's doing. Right. At least a little bit. Okay. So he's a goof, but also he knows what he's doing. And that's how I'll treat it the entire time. I will be extremely supportive and makers camp this last time around was pretty taxing Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple of situations i i didn't really take any breaks and i uh i'm i get really enthusiastic right so i kind of lose myself in the time and there were a few students that came through that just not only were they green but like they don't make stuff very often anyways the hammer was getting tough for them you know the heat the paying attention to the coal fire and everything and not a single person, at least in my students that came through, not a single person ruined their steel and everybody walked away with something. And the, the two young women that came by that were, had to be less than 10 and six or something. It took almost an hour and a half with those two, <laughs> right? but I wasn't going to stop. And you, you it's like, if you can't teach it to a kid, I was going to bring this up a minute ago. We always equate it to if you can't teach it to a kid, you probably don't know it well enough because this is just the easiest way to understand they don't know anything because they're a kid. Right. May or not may or may not be true, but honestly, what it comes down to is just like the naivety and lack of knowledge. The reason that you always equate it to a kid is because adults or grown up people have too many other things in the way and they <laughs> think they know things and they 
Even if they've never blacksmithed before, yeah, I don't know how a hammer works. I watch Forged and Fire. Like, <laughs> I don't know how this stuff works. I watch a few YouTube videos. I watch your YouTube videos. So really, this is your fault. I think it's <laughs> this way of alleviating any kind of tension and making sure that people understand that what we're doing right now is fun. Right. Blacksmithing can suck just like anything else. If you got to knock out 60 hammers like ZH Fabrications had to, mm-hmm. that's a drag. Yeah. Like anybody that's doing production on that level at a certain point, it's not really enjoyable anymore because it's just repetition. And it's not that it's unenjoyable. It's just that you're not getting that like, hooray, win every right. time. So if you can make people understand that in those teaching situations, like you're new, that's good. You're so green and malleable right now, just like this steel. (laughs) Throw a crappy joke out at them and then smash steel. That's great. Yeah, that's what I was curious what you do with people that are light strikers because it's it's tough. tough. It's oh, you want to know the trick that I did? I'll give you a super short, super short story. So the very young girl that was there who I'd ballpark at six to eight years old, she just couldn't swing. I gave her the lightest hammer we had and she just couldn't move the steel around, but she understood it and everything she was doing was right. We just weren't getting any kind of movement. So I have never seen anybody do this before. I have to, I'm going to pat myself on the back for this one. I took my hammer and I was like, I want you to hit where I hit. And I'm going to show you just because we're focusing. So I'd hit with a good strike and go right there. And then she'd hit. So we got the movement, but she used to see it after her hammer strikes it. Right. And I'd always go like, I'm going to hit it. You hit it right afterwards. So that it looked to her like it was her doing the movement. That's great. And I did that two or three heat rounds. And like, we got that taper at the beginning and that little point. And she was like, Oh, I, I see it now. I'm like that. You are doing so great, but it was really like, you got to let them feel like they're doing right. it because so often I, I feel like you guys are probably all super experienced in this kind of thing. But at some point in our lives, we've had somebody go, I'll do it right, or I'll just figure it out or they take it away from you. It's also probably one of my least favorite things. And I, I don't know if this is a smithing thing or if it just is like harking back to my uh, art school, when somebody would take a pencil and start marking on your artwork, you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's my drawing. Don't do that. But teachers would do it all the time. They'd come over and just go, you should move this here. And all this. And you're like, oh, wow, how depressing. You've ruined the thing that I drew. When it comes to smithing, I also don't like taking people's tools away from them or their steel. I very rarely do it. And when I do, I make it a point to be like, I'm just going to hold this for a second. And I try and communicate like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to change anything about your piece. I want you to know that. And I think giving them the ownership the whole time is, is really what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's, that's a much more honorable technique than what I do. <laughs> 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 what I do is I, uh, I lower my hand. Cause like normally I'm controlling the steel and they're hitting. I'll start lowering my arm, getting it lower than the anvil. So they're bending it one hitting it and i'm like let me straighten this out for you wham 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 and i'm getting the taper while you know so that's yours is uh, that's, that's pretty smart there because you're like what are you focusing on it's sleight of hand you're just having them look at the bend but really you're like yeah. so that's why you kept helping me straighten my pieces out <laughs> let me handle it i got it for you get it straight before Dean's it goes back figured in. out now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we ask everybody who comes is 
your three tools that you would choose if you're going to be transitioning to a new workshop or something like that? What would be the three things that you'll take with you? How how many tools does Blacksmith encounter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Cold Forge would definitely go with me. I really do love coal. I love forging on coal. And there's a lot less limitation. And I love my coal forge. Restored beautifully. It is. From <laughs> Nowheresville, New York, with a huge crack in it. So feels like it's got a story. Um, anvils, I could give or take. So we'll just stick to the coal forge for the heat. I need to take an angle grinder with me because I think everybody, woodworker, metalworker alike, get a freaking angle grinder. They're the best. <laughs> and we'll just count a bag full of consumables along with that one. So that's two. And then three, you got to take a pencil or a marking device with you. I still, I'm still convinced that a pencil is my strongest tool i can communicate i can draw i can i i think i even mentioned this on our podcast one time that i developed um visual skills over my lifetime and i can pretty much speak to anybody in any language if i really need to because i learned how to draw stuff so if i need to find a toilet i'll draw what a toilet looks like and show it to somebody (laughs) and it's very easy to go there it is do you have a go-to pencil black wing matte pencils they are the best square erasers oh my dad they're just more you know they're a little bit uh on the higher end affordable wise just as pencils go like you gotta actually set aside like oh god i guess i gotta spend 30 dollars on a pack of pencils jesus their uh tagline is an affordable luxury just i used to work in marketing and a graphic design degree i have so many things that i could argue about <laughs> that tagline it's so bad well brett we have really appreciated having you on this evening uh can you give everybody the where to find you so social media wise i would say instagram's the only thing i got unless you want to try and find my myspace it's pretty old now <laughs> Instagram is skull and spade 13, all one word. And then YouTube's is my name, Brett McAfee slash Brett McAfee. And your podcast. Oh my golly. (laughs) I cannot believe I almost forgot my boys. Yeah. So the fools with tools podcast just celebrated its 200th episode recently. I love those boys to death and they are two very special people that I met in the same way with this whole weird online community. So cheers to you guys for doing the same, but fools with tools, Google it. We're all over the place and we have an amazing Facebook group. Um, Mm -hmm. If you do use Facebook, it is an extremely healthy maker community that we've developed and be ready in the near future to see all of the treasure trade gifts that come out because I love that we do that. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. There's like 200 people doing it this year, too. It's crazy. It's pretty fantastic. Well, thanks a lot for having us on, and uh, we will see you down the road. Thanks, Thanks, Great to meet you. I really appreciate it. If you end up coming through Virginia, for sure, hit me up. 100%. We got to move some steel. That was great to meet uh, Brett and a great interview. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk to you guys about this next year. 
what's coming up 2022, uh, which feels weird to say, cause I feel like next year <laughs> should be 2021 still. I don't, I don't know, Yeah. but, um, let's talk about shop upgrades. Black Friday's coming up. It's going to be potentially a big shopping day for tool guys and gals. So, um, do one of you guys have like big plans for this year? Um, I'm that guy that always falls into the trap of buying a whole bunch of shit on black Friday that I didn't need. And then having to offload it later, it gets in the way. But when I was walking back here, the mail came right before we started recording. And I got a Rockler catalog that looks like the JC Penney's or Sears toys catalog oh. from when I was a kid. It must be a hundred pages thick. And so I'm super excited to go through that. And I'm super excited about uh, some Bora products. I saw um, Bora makes a really nice wall lumber rack. And I saw, I don't remember if it was Rockler or Woodcraft, but one of them has the six uh, arm one on sale. So I'm going to look into that. And then earlier this year, I bought two of the two by four centipedes, which is like their mobile work base, but I'm just putting it out using is the legs and I'm using scrap wood for the top. And I saw Rockler has a sale on the actual like hardboard bolts to the top has the work holes, uh, tops for those stations. So I'm going to look at maybe uh, upgrading some of my Bora tools and, and getting my hands on those things. Christy, I know you're building your shop, but you have your eyes on any, uh, anything whenever it finally comes to fruition. Well, I'm, uh, kind of restricting myself from even looking at black Friday and Christmas stuff for the shop, just because, um, I mean, I, I, we've not really mapped out the timing of when we think the shop will be done, but it'll be, I'm assuming a few months, especially depending on the weather, I'm guessing spring 2022, by the time we're like really done. Um, but we just don't have any space for anything, no matter what kind of, and now I say this, I'm going to jinx myself, (laughs) no no matter what deal comes along, I'm not going to take it. I say that, but I do have storage space still. I do. I do still have storage space in a couple of storage units that I have right now with some of my other shop stuff in. Um, one thing I am going to need is, um, better dust collection. And I'm thinking about looking at the Grizzly, um, dust collection deal. Other than that, I mean, I really have actually, um, my sister's, uh, boyfriend had texted me a link to an auction Mm. and he's like, Oh, it's got woodworking stuff. And I'm like, dude, I got more tools than than I can even deal with right now. I appreciate the fact that he was thinking of me to send me that link, but I'm not going to be Austin with those auctions. My palms are sweating I do love right good, now. Like, I, send me the I link. love a great auction. Yeah, I, I refuse to be addicted to auctions like Austin is and, and need um, counseling for that. So there are, like I said, there are a few things I'm definitely going to need, but at this point in time, I'm up to my armpits with boxes and stuff that even if it's a fantastic sale, I just, I, I'm, I just don't want to pull the trigger right now yet. It's too bad you're not close. Cause I've got a, uh, a seven and a half horsepower, two stack dust collectors sitting in the woods right now because I don't <laughs> Jesus. have anything. I got it for suit. I, I bought it at an auction because it had like 400 feet of extension cords on it. Oh and then gosh. I just, it's just sitting. Dean, you might've saw it when you came here. It's sitting in my boneyard out there. But I guess the one thing, um, as we were talking about blacksmithing with Brett just now too, 
that is the one area that Marvin and I have talked about. We do want to um, venture into, and Brett has offered to help me um, kind of track down a, an anvil. I want an anvil with a story. I don't want an anvil that I bought on, you know, that's, that doesn't mean anything. I, I want something with a story. Yeah, in the blacksmithing vein, I've been trying to do more wood turning. So that's one of the projects I worked on this weekend. And I think I'm going to probably end up picking up a few more tools. Uh, actually, two weekends ago, I sharpened my, I have my, my wife's grandfather did woodworking and he, I've never met him. He's been dead since the eighties, but they still had his toolbox with all his their high-speed steel chisels. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I bought a fancy sharpener to sharpen my Austin camp knife. And was like, well, I might as well get more than one use out of it. And I sharpened all those chisels the other day. And I've been using those on these last few woodworking projects. And it's, it's been a lot of fun because you can tell holding them, it's it's got a story. This is not a new tool. Uh, right. It's a little smaller. It's a little lighter. It's and uh, But they've been a lot of fun to use. That's great. You know, it's funny because I, I always like, I've, I try to give Christy a hard time because she always wants a story with all this crap. And I'm <laughs> like, wow, who cares? But then... When I look at my tools, all of my tools that have like dead people's names engraved in them and stuff that I got at auctions, those are my hands down my favorite one. And I, yeah. I guess I maybe I was giving you a hard time because I don't know. I just it's your natural instinct to give me a difficult time. Yeah, that's just that's I, just how we roll. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because it, when I sat down and looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, those are my favorite tools for sure. You know, like. It, uh, it's interesting. So I got to tell you guys what I, so, you know, Black Friday doesn't mean squat to me because that's not what, they're not selling stuff that I want, but there is this milling machine that is going, it's going up for auction tomorrow, 2,200 pounds. It's a South Bend, uh, 10 by 50 inch table, which is huge. Oh man, I want it. I want it. So like, I've just been watching this auction like crazy. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's at the facility that I got my other mill from. So I, I don't think it's probably had much use. It was made in 1990. Um, so I don't think, but here's, what's cool about it. It has power feed on the X power feed on the knee. It's got a pneumatic draw bar. Um, it's, it's, it's got a DRO. It's got all the, it's got a one shot oil system. It literally has everything, any upgrade that you would want to ma make to a mill besides converting it to CNC. It's already done. Wow. So now I just have to like convince myself to just pull the trigger. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm real hot and bothered <laughs> for the next two days. I'm just you, gonna be. You are sweating about. I am, this, right? man. I'm so sweaty. I just six shades of red in the face. I know. I, mean, I know. And like, oh man, I just need to. I need to score this one. <laughs> you got a condition. We I know. Really need to know. look into that. God. So the auction ends on Thursday. Yeah. Do you see it? On no, Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm, I thought you were looking at no, right. no, no this Thursday. This Thursday. Thursday this, before. Oh, oh, 3, oh! It is Tuesday. Yeah. Three p.m. On Thursday. Yeah. So by the time this airs, you guys will know if I've already got it or not. But if you're crying in the corner, man, or if you so right now it has like five guys that have been bidding on it. And I know that I recognize their screen names because they bid against me all the time. And uh I'm like, I gotta beat these guys. I gotta get this. So anyway, is there a comment section? Can you write like back off sucker? 
oh man, I should, but and I, so, you know, I don't really have strategy going in, but with this one, it's like, I'm just going to drop my, cause it's the, the way this auction works is it's kind of like eBay. So it's like you put in your highest, you're willing to pay and it'll bid you up by, by whatever dollar amount it is. And the higher it goes, the bigger. So it starts getting to like the next bid is a hundred dollars higher. Like it's, oh. it starts out where it's like five bucks. But when you, when you start hitting certain dollar amounts, it starts jumping significantly. And the freaking assholes, it's like 19% fee because mm. it's like, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool, guys. And so we're up to like four grand. And then, you know, that's a huge amount of money. Then you got another $800 you got to dump on there. Yeah. 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 And so, anyways, that's my rant. That's my G rant. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, my G rant is different because it's about dropping G's. This is just about being a little bitch. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when are you going to place your bid? I don't know. Probably tomorrow. So the one thing that's stopping me right now is I need to confirm with the people that they're able to lift it on site because that changes my bid amount. If I am going to have to get a rigging, you know, yeah, there's a lot that goes it. in when you start getting into significant weight. So, um, I, I have a trailer, uh, that I can use. That's a big, it's my buddy's trailer. And, uh, the one thing is, is this machine is way bigger than the door to my shop. So mm. I'm going to have to disassemble the machine to get it inside and then reassemble oh. Dang. The, the table that's on it. Just the work table that's on it. You know, the 10 by 50, it's like 500 pounds. So I have to take that off. Where do you have four and a half feet of horizontal space? I don't, but <laughs> not, listen, let's not talk you about get that. all the wood laves out. Yeah. Take yeah. the wood laves out. <laughs> the one spot. So, so if this one comes in, one, at you least you CNC. Well, at least one of my other mills is going to go because what, why, why do I need, yeah. you know, this one is so much more capable. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's the mill that I'll have the rest of my life. I, I, but I have heard that um, I've heard things look better in threes, including mills, right? That's right. <laughs> um, I need, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to adjust. This is whatever, you know what? I, this is a pet peeve of mine is anytime that I'm like amped up to get something at an auction, everybody loves to tell me about the lack of space that I have. <laughs> they're like where are you gonna put it and i'm like who well, no, we, we just figured it out you throw that fucking cnc you've never used in the trash or sell it yeah there's 800 bucks that you can add to your auction and then you sell one of the smaller mills there's another 1500 bucks you can add to your auction yeah and you take you don't need two wood lathes in a shop that you don't turn wood so you just leave the one uh big one that you've got was it a delta yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and move the other one outside, or move that other one into the corner, and uh, you've got plenty of space right there. Yeah, or we just start knocking out some walls. There you go. Oh, I like that. Wow. I like that better. <laughs> start pouring slabs. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. If you want to reach out to us or you know a maker with a fantastic project that deserves a deep dive, send us a message on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram and YouTube. I'm Austin at High Caliber Craftsman. You can find Christy at Twisted Twine Woodworking. You can find Dean at Dean underscore Duplantis.
I, I think I have it in me that I'd be able to go full pirate for maybe a short stint every year and just be like, okay, I'm going to hit four states, at least four makers, make something with them, and then either get content out of it or just the experience of it. I think it would be too too damn fun to just... Yeah, like, that'd be awesome. I've got an idea for you. You need to get you a old hoopty beater that you're going to drive across country and everybody you stop at helps you convert it into a fucking ship oh, oh into your ship <laughs> so yeah. like each leg is more and more developed of a ship okay okay based on that then what i need to do i'm glad i'm on the west coast what i need to do is start that project here and go that way so that i've got a sail and and the wind yeah. and ride the winds back. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, guys, I'm getting 400 miles to the gallon. Cause I've turned my car off six times. I'm just <laughs> going with the sails. <laughs>